Hi. Hi, Shauna. Am I sideways? <laughs> you are sideways. <laughs> Let me see if I can change this. Yeah, no problem. Now I'm upside down. This is exciting. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. This is my second ever Instagram Live. Not a pro and, yet. And you made it. You're here, which is fantastic. Great. Hi. Hi. Nice to with you. Yeah, and I really, really appreciate you taking the time out. Um, my followers are really, really excited just to get a little insight into mindfulness and just a little, just a little, little bit of your expertise would, would go a long way with them. Um, I've obviously read your book, which I am a massive um, advocate of. I think it's fantastic looking, looking at mindfulness um, in a, in a different way than when 10 years ago I did it. Um, I practiced mindfulness to help me uh, come out of an anxiety disorder. So I think your approach on mindfulness is, it, it, yeah, it's wonderful. And to have you have you here for, for 10, 15, 20 minutes, I'm just really grateful for that. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I am just trying to get this to uh, solidify here in my new way. There we go. I'm practicing mindfulness right now as my anxiety is rising with trying to figure out how to get my phone to work. So, and that's really the beauty of mindfulness is that it's a practice for every single moment of our lives, that it's really about this sense of curiosity and openness and um, presence with whatever's happening. Even if it's that you can't get your phone stand to work in the middle of an Instagram live. Yeah. <laughs> um and if I could just ask you, uh, just um, I may have some followers who might not know what mindfulness is. Um, obviously, they've heard, probably heard that it will help them with anxiety. Um, if you could just give a brief explanation just for them to let them know what mindfulness is, how it, how it would be beneficial towards um, their mental health, and um, also what got you into uh, the field of um, mindfulness. Um, so obviously your personal experience, all the um, fantastic background um, academically that you, that you do, and obviously teaching as well. If you can just yeah. give a little insight into that. Absolutely. Well, I had my first introduction to mindfulness when I was quite young. I was a teenager and I had had spinal fusion surgery, so a metal rod put in my spine. And I went from this healthy, active teenager to lying in a hospital bed, unable to walk. And during those many months of rehabilitation, I was introduced to mindfulness, and it really changed my life. Um, I ended up going to Thailand and Nepal to study meditation, and when I returned, I wanted to understand it scientifically, I had experienced such a profound transformation in myself. And so I got my PhD, became a scientist, and I've spent the last 20 years studying the effects of mindfulness and really looking at how it can help us with anxiety, with depression, with um, really with the stress of everyday life. And that's really what I've dedicated my career to. And um, I'd love to introduce people just to kind of a brief understanding of mindfulness. It's really quite simple. It's just not easy. So um, the key to mindfulness is about being present with whatever's happening. And so the, um, you know, a lot of people think that time is our most valuable resource. They're wrong. It's our attention. 
So right now, even as you're listening and watching, you can just see, is your, is your attention in the present moment or is it wandering off? And then the second part of mindfulness, which is so important and often overlooked, is kindness. Can we pay attention with kindness? Whatever is happening, can we bring this welcoming, kind, curious attitude? And what's interesting is when we do that, it actually turns on the learning centers of the brain. It puts us in the best um, place to actually learn and grow. Normally what happens, right, when we feel anxiety or we're doing something wrong, we shame and judge ourselves. And what that does is it shuts down the learning centers of the brain. It actually prevents us from being able to change. And you've actually done scientific studies on this, haven't you? Absolutely. That's that's what I've been dedicating my research to is really looking at not only um, what mindfulness is, but how do we teach it and what is the most effective way possible. And that's why I focus so much on this attitude of compassion and kindness, because the science shows that this is essential to learning and essential to healing. Would you say that that's a new aspect of mindfulness? I'm just going back um, 10 years when I was first introduced into it. Um, I I, ne I never got told um, approach it with kindness and compassion. I got told um, to be in the present moment without judgment. So would you say that that's um, you focusing obviously on the kindness aspect is a new, a new aspect of mindfulness? I think it's definitely not something I created, so I don't want to take credit for that, but I think we're putting more attention there, more focus there. So when I was training at the monastery in Thailand, I remember my very first meditation, um, my first meditation retreat, I didn't know much about meditation or mindfulness at all. And I thought it was supposed to be really peaceful and I'd close my eyes and I'd immediately become enlightened. And instead, my mind was racing and wandering off and filled with anxious thoughts. And I started getting really frustrated with myself. And luckily, this monk arrived who spoke English and shared with me um, this powerful teaching. He said, you're practicing with judgment and frustration and impatience. That's not mindfulness. He said, what you practice grows stronger. Five of the most important words I've ever heard. But you practice grows stronger. He said meditation and mindfulness are not just about attention. It's about how you pay attention with kindness. So he gave me that key teaching, right? That whatever I'm practicing, I'm carving out those neural pathways. And yet, even after knowing that, I found I was still constantly judging and shaming myself. And so were all the people I was working with, right? I worked with thousands of people from high level CEOs to women with breast cancer to stressed out college students. And everyone I talked to, to was talking about the same thing, this constant sense of shame and self-judgment. And that's when I started really studying the science of, sh of shame and the science of judgment. And when I really dedicated my life to bringing kindness and compassion into the academic and scientific and medical world, because so often people just overlook it. They think, oh, it's just something nice to have, right? Kindness or it's soft or it won't really work. And that's where the science is so compelling. No, definitely. And I think, um, I don't know if you agree with this, we almost have an inner narrative that, that's set in negative mode. Um, we do, actually. Yeah. We Not just almost, we actually do. Evolutionarily, we've been hardwired with something called the negativity bias. So we tend to focus on what's wrong, what's negative, what's not working. 
like we scan our environment for danger and we tend to overlook the good and the beautiful and the positive. So we actually have to rewire our mind to kind of balance this negativity bias. Yeah. And obviously when we think, we know that the mind listens and then, then the body reacts. So obviously with the, the positive aspects of approaching with kindness, you're going to get the, the positive physical sensations as well. Exactly. I have to say, so I'm noticing all these hearts come up over here and <laughs> it's like, it's this kindness, right? That we're talking about. It's this kind of positive reinforcement. And then I notice I kind of calm down a little bit and, and there's this sense of it really enhances our learning. And I think this work of mindfulness is learning how to be kind to ourselves and to treat ourselves as if we were treating a dear friend, right? How would I speak to my dear friend who was anxious or afraid or in pain? And we need to learn how to pay attention to ourselves in that same way. Um, I do get a lot of questions of people asking, what's the difference between being mindful and mindfulness meditation? Yeah. Um, is there a difference between both? And are you able to just explain that? Absolutely, yeah, it's, it's actually quite simple. So mindfulness is a way of being, it's a way of living. You can speak mindfully, you can walk mindfully. We wanna practice it every moment. Meditation is kind of like going to the gym. Right, it's the exercise that we're doing to strengthen our capacity to be mindful. So mindfulness is something that we practice every moment and meditation is the, the workout, the exercise. And um, so almost like um, your, your daily routine of brushing your teeth um, is a form of mindfulness, yeah? Absolutely, it's, it's any activity. In fact, taking a mindful shower is a wonderful practice. And in fact, when you said that, it reminded me, one of my students, I loved this. He said, he said, this is kind of like mental hygiene, right? Instead of dental hygiene, he said, mindfulness is like mental hygiene. And if you think about it, if you woke up in the day and you forgot to brush your teeth, all day you'd be like, ugh, yeah, right? And I feel the same way about mindfulness. If I wake up and I don't practice, there's a way in which kind of the quality of my day is different. It's like it cleans off the lens of the eyes so you can see clearly. In fact, the word mindfulness means to see clearly. All we're trying to do is see clearly so we can respond effectively. Well, that's really, really interesting. Um, I do have a few questions that um, some of my followers um, submitted, if, sure. um, if I'm able to um, go over to them. Um, one of them is, are there any physical benefits to practicing mindfulness? Great question, absolutely yes. There are so many physical benefits. And in fact, in my new book, Good Morning, I Love You, actually in the UK, it's called Rewire Your Mind. Apparently, Good Morning, I Love You doesn't translate into British. Really? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, a little bit tongue in cheek, but they, <laughs> they changed the name. Um, but in my book, I outline all the benefits, the physical benefits, but just to name a few, mindfulness has been shown to improve our immune functioning, to okay. strengthen and enhance it. It's been shown to lengthen is that, our... Is that yeah. due to the um, the reduction of cortisol, would that be? It's definitely related. So cortisol is the stress hormone and mindfulness reduces cortisol and cortisol impedes our immune system. So they're definitely related. Um, mindfulness also lengthens our telomeres. It, and our telomeres are the little caps at the end of our DNA and they predict how long we're gonna live. And mindfulness actually can um, increase 
the enzyme telomerase that lengthens our telomeres. So it can actually increase our longevity. It's been shown to, it's amazing. It's been shown to um, decrease uh, insomnia and cardiovascular disease to support with cancer. It's, it's really one of, not a cure-all, and I don't want to say that, especially as a scientist, but it has significant benefits. And it's not just in terms of making us happier, it's making us healthier. And I think um, also um, lowering blood pr- uh, pressure, yeah? Absolutely, it's been shown to lower blood pressure and cardiovascular disease. And one of the interesting things about mindfulness is that it not only helps us with stress and with illness, it also helps us increase our joy, our happiness. Um, mindfulness, that's really the magic of it, is that it it helps us during the tough times but it also helps us um, be present for the joy and the beauty in life. And I think we overlook that so often. No, definitely. And it's great. It's, it's really, really good that you're shining a light um, on this. And once um, once I finish the live, if you don't mind, um, I want to obviously uh, do a direct link um, for your book um, so all the followers um, can obviously purchase the book um would you i'll do that on my stories and also um on my um, bio as well so yeah thank you amazing i appreciate it this book is really the culmination of 20 years of of science and practice and i tried to make it as simple um as possible but really in a way that has power you know it's kind of a roadmap for how to live a happier healthier life I'm not sure if you've read all the reviews um, from uh, the readers, but uh, one, of the, one of the things that I did pick up was just how scientific uh, the book actually is. Um, and not only showing your own personal experience, the struggle with the trauma that you um, dealt with, but also um, I think a lot of people uh, just felt just, I think the scientific evidence gave, gave it a massive impact. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. The reviews have been extraordinary and the letters I've been receiving. And I think the science helps people kind of have faith or have trust in it. And then they're willing to dive into the practice. And that's where they really find the benefit. And that's, I think, one of the most important teachings of the book is that it's never too late. No matter what mistakes you've made, no matter how afraid or anxious you are, it is never too late to literally re-architect your brain for greater happiness. And yeah, the book is, yeah, it, and it's it's such a hopeful message. And I think if I just said that to you, you wouldn't believe me. But as a scientist, I can say this is what neuroscience teaches us. Neuroplasticity shows that you can change your brain in any moment; that it's never too late. And I think that gives people hope. No, definitely. And would you say that, so if someone was practicing it at the age of 16, to compared to someone practicing it for the first time at the age of 40, they'd both still potentially get um, the same results? Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, we've shown that in just six weeks, you can see literal physical changes in the brain. And this is from as little as 12 minutes of meditation practice a day. And it doesn't matter if you're 16 or 40 or 80 years old. All of us have the power to rewire our brain. That's brilliant. If I just move on to the next question, which is how many days a week should I practice being mindful? Is there a specific time of the day? And is there a, um, is there a specific place that's best for doing it? 
great questions. I'm so glad. Um, so the first thing about time of day, I used to tell people just do it whenever you have time, you know, schedule it into your whatever works in your life. But new research came out last year from the University of San Francisco that showed that your mood in the morning and your mood in the evening predicts your overall health and longevity. It's actually an extraordinary study. And it got me thinking, you know, the morning and the evening are very important times. This is really important for our physical and mental health. And so now I suggest that people do the practices first thing in the morning or right before bed. And if you look at all the spiritual traditions, that's also what they recommend. So I love when science maps on to kind of ancient wisdom. Um, in terms of how often, as I said before, about seven to 12 minutes a day, every day, has been shown to have these impact on your immune system and your cardiovascular system. So I usually recommend about that length of time. And I do think doing something every day is helpful because it kind of gets you into a rhythm. Um, like I said, with brushing your teeth, it's like you want to do it every day. Um, so great questions. And then in terms of where, anywhere that's relatively quiet and safe, I love to meditate outside when I can. Um, but I, I do have a special place in our bedroom and that's kind of when I first wake up, I just go and sit there and it's, it's easy. Yeah. Would you always say um, to meditate with your eyes closed um, whilst whilst doing it in the evening? Would you say um, you're more in tune if your eyes are closed? Yeah, so I think it's helpful to meditate with your eyes closed, but if that's frightening or uncomfortable, it's fine just to kind of look down at the floor in front of you. Um, the reason we close our eyes is it's easier to focus inward when you don't have all the distractions of looking outward. And um, what would you recommend regarding if you wanted music in the background? So again, there are hundreds of different uh, types of meditation. And so you can listen to music if you want a more relaxing experience. Mindfulness is a particular type of meditation. And the aim is to kind of wake you up, to kind of get you out of your automatic pilot mode and to really see things clearly. And so for mindfulness, I don't listen to music because I want all my senses engaged in the present moment to allow insights to arise. But there are other times I meditate and listen to music just as a way to relax or fall to sleep. No, that's really good. That's a really good answer. Um, I've got another question. I Oh, someone's saying they tried, they tried um, practicing mindfulness for a week, um, but they didn't see any um, any benefit so they they stopped doing it um could you give them some advice as to why they de they didn't notice anything after a week is and um and they're also asking is there anything they could have been doing wrong absolutely it's a great question so often people say to me until i started practicing with kindness i never was really practicing mindfulness and i never thought it worked for me they say my mind was always wandering off and i was always judging myself so the first thing I wanna say is, it's normal for your mind to wander. It's gonna wander. In fact, research from Harvard shows the mind wanders 47% of the time. So that's about half of your life that you're missing. So when you sit, right, it's kind of frightening, but when you sit to meditate and your mind wanders, you just say, oh, sweetheart, your mind wandered. Of course it did, and you bring it back. So it's not about being still, it's about being present. So that's the first thing. You may have been paying attention in a really critical, judgmental way. The second thing is, 
this is a practice. It's not about being perfect and it takes time. So I invite people to be really curious, to be really interested in your experience. And what you start to notice is subtle changes, a, a flash of kindness instead of judgment, or a little more presence, or just even noticing, like for me right now, I'm looking out at the sky and the clouds, and there's this way in which things become more vivid. They become brighter because you're awake. You're not kind of spaced out doing a thousand different things at once. You're actually where your body is. And I think with my my own experiences, it was actually other people um, that said to me, they, they noticed the difference before myself. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of people say that. They say that their family is saying, what are you doing differently? Like yeah. you're so much calmer and they don't even really notice. So I would encourage that person, keep practicing, right? Don't we know that. what you practice grows stronger. It's a process. And I tell people, even if you just do 5% more, that is moving you in the right direction. And this is all about direction. It's not about destination. Definitely. And obviously on the journey, you're gonna, every day you can't be calm. You, you're gonna have anxiety um, during, during, during your lifetime, during the week, during the days. Um, so it's not about um, trying to shut out anxiety like you said. Exactly. In fact, mindfulness says the exact opposite. It welcomes whatever's here. And it, in fact, there's a wonderful study at UCLA that showed that when you just name an emotion, like I'm scared, I'm anxious, it actually starts to calm down your physiology. It's called name it to tame it. And so what we do with mindfulness is we welcome our emotions and that's really how we heal them. Yeah, and I can, I can personally say, um, when I was going through a panic disorder, um, the one thing I used to do was say to the person I was with, or if I was with someone, I, I would just tell them, oh, I'm feeling anxious at the moment. And I can say from personal experience, what that did, it almost get, gets the thoughts from the mind, out of the mind to an external source. And the, um, the, anxio the anxious uh, feelings uh, would start to decrease. So I can say that personally, yeah. Um, that worked for myself as well. Yeah, that was really smart of you to figure out. I'm, <laughs> I'm always impressed when I get kind of, you know, I learn these teachings from teachers or scientists and when people discover them themselves, I'm like, wow, amazing, great. And you're exactly right, because then you're not so enmeshed with the anxiety. You're able to label it, you're able to name it, and then you're able to see it, and then you're able to heal it. That's brilliant. Um, I've also got a question, um, someone saying, um, when I try to focus on being present and being mindful, it highlights my anxious thoughts, which then spiral out of control because I, uh, because I get fixed on the thoughts. Do you have any tips of overcoming this? Yeah, thank you for that question. And that is so natural, right? As soon as we start to pay attention, all of a sudden, all those things that we've been shutting down, pushing away, come up the anxious thoughts, the fears. And so again, the first step is just welcome them. And I know it feels yucky and scary to do that. You're like, I don't wanna do that. But by welcoming them, we shift our entire relationship to them. Instead of struggling and fighting, we welcome them and then we name it, right? What starts to calm down the physiology. And then we bring compassion to ourselves. You know, sweetheart, this is hard, right? Imagine your dear friend saying, I'm really scared. You wouldn't say, shut up. <laughs> you would say, oh, sweetheart, this is hard. How can I help? 
can you bring that same kindness, that same voice to you? And then the third step that I often practice is I'll think about all the other people who are anxious right now. Because I'll tell you, there are millions, all the other people. I'm not alone in this. And then I just send my compassion out to them, right? We're all in this together. We're human. This is our shared humanity. Anxiety is part of it. It's just part of it. Definitely. Um, and finally, a question. Oh, I think you've answered this. So someone's asking, um, does mindfulness boost the immune system? Oh, and also, can you recommend any books and apps regarding mindfulness? So I definitely recommend your own book. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, I love Jack Cornfield's teachings. I've been so touched by him. He's been my teacher for 20 years. And so he has a couple of books. One is A Path with Heart. It was written ages ago, but I love it. And then another book is Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy for Depression. It's also very impactful for anxiety. And that is very research-based, but I find the practices very effective. And then the last book I'd recommend is the first book I ever read. Um, it's called Wherever You Go, There You Are by John Kabat-Zinn. And that was really the book when I was a teenager that opened me up to this whole practice. Um, would you say, was it just his way with words or is it how it, the layout of the book or? You know, it's funny because I've recommended it, of course, to thousands of people since. And I think for me, it was the right moment in time. And so I, I don't know if there's anything unique about the book, but this, his first line, I, I still remember it. It says, whatever has happened to you, it has already happened. The only question that matters is now what? And there was this sense of kind of hope of like, there was a possibility of being happy again. There was a possibility of shifting um, how I was feeling. That's brilliant. And just the second part of the question, they're just asking um, really, what what's your take on um, apps uh, for mindfulness? Uh, and yeah. is there any out there that stand out for you? Yeah, so I, I have actually a course on Insight Timer and I've been really impressed with them. I think they've done a wonderful job. Um, there's of course Headspace, which most people know. And I think it's excellent, but it's missing the dimension of compassion. Definitely. And I think, yeah, I think with apps, um, I think they're good after you've had some training in meditation because then you know the form, you you know to be kind, you know to be curious, you know your mind's gonna wander. When you just try to do the apps, I think there's, people can get lost and start going down the wrong path. It's kind of like if you go to work out at a gym, you kind of want a personal trainer for that first day to show you around how to use the weights correctly. If you just go in there, you're gonna get injured. So I have mixed feelings about apps, but I think they can be used for the good. And I think, you know, we're all working together to try to figure out how to make them um, both accessible, but very nuanced and, and um, true to the practice. What would you say the main reason is that um, some people who do um, practice mindfulness don't focus on um, the, the kindness and the self-compassion as much as they should do? I think it's really hard for our brain to register that it's good for us. I think we we all have this kind of mistaken belief that if I'm kind to myself, then I'll just become this kind of lazy, self-indulgent, I'll keep making my mistakes, I'll keep doing these bad things. And we feel like if we beat ourselves up, somehow we'll improve and get better. 
And that's really why I started studying it scientifically because I almost needed that ammunition to tell people it doesn't work. Shame doesn't work. You know, if beating yourself up worked, I would say, go ahead and do it. It just doesn't work. It doesn't help you lose weight. It doesn't make you a better parent. It doesn't make you happier. And it's really kindness and compassion that are effective. And I think people are just starting to understand the science behind it. And I think that's why it's been left out of traditional teachings and academic teachings. And it's a huge loss because I think the reason people quit meditation is because they don't understand exactly what it is. It's paying attention with kindness. That's it. Your mind wanders off. That's part of it. You didn't fail. That's just what happens. You bring yourself back. And I think that's really, really important um, on emphasizing the 47% of um, of your thoughts um, wandering. Right. So Exactly. Although with practice, it will start to decrease and you'll start to have more presence. And that's the beauty is there's this kind of ease in your body and yet this laser-like attention in your mind and it's this really interesting juxtaposition of being calm yet alert and just uh, regarding yourself um when you feel anxious um would you say that it's just easier for you then to um experience the the physical uh, feelings um, and overcome it um than it was um before you practice mindfulness Absolutely. It has completely and radically shifted how I experience anxiety. That there's this sense of when I start to get anxious, I immediately notice. I mean, I noticed it when I went on the Instagram live and my phone was upside down and I'm still having to hold it. My arm's getting tired. Um, <laughs> but there was this like, you know, my heart started racing and I started sweating and my cheeks got rosy. And then instead of saying, you idiot, right? there was a kindness there was like oh sweetheart this is a little bit hard you're a little bit anxious and just that kindness started to calm me down and just naming my anxiety started to calm me down and so i think there's a way in which anxiety is natural and what happens for people who really suffer from it is they they exacerbate it right they increase it with their fear of it and and so we start to be able to welcome the anxiety like a little kid like oh you have something to say something's happening okay i'm here and i care about you and again from personal experience uh, when i did go through a panic disorder it, um, actually overcoming the panic disorder was putting myself into the situations that would bring on the panic attacks that's what um, ultimately helped me um, overcome the disorder um, absolutely yeah, no, it's so interesting. You know, one of my very first patients, I was working at a veterans hospital and he was having anxiety and panic attacks. And he had been in a gang and he, um, the, he, you know, when he came to me, he said, I just want some medication to get rid of this, you know? And we understood why he was having the panic attacks. Someone had tried to kill him, so it made sense. And I said to him, oh, I'm so sorry. I have a PhD, not an MD. I can't give you drugs. Um, and he said, fine, just teach me distraction techniques. I just don't want to think about the anxiety. And I was like, oh no, I'm so sorry, but I'm a <laughs> mindfulness therapist. So we're actually going to pay attention. We're actually, just like you said, we're going to go back into the situations and notice the body sensations. And he was like, get me a new therapist. Um, but luckily as we worked together, he saw that instead of getting ambushed or hijacked by his anxiety, he could be present to it and really face it and then know how to um, effectively respond. 
is brilliant. I think that's that's a really good place um, to end the live as well. So I'd like to thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for holding the phone in that position. Um, you don't need to work on the arms tomorrow in the gym. Thank you. Oh, this was such a joy. Thank you so much for your wisdom and all that you're doing in this world. No, and I really appreciate everything. Um, I'll also, um, if you don't mind, I'll pop, pop a link to your TED Talk as well Great. on YouTube because I think that's really inspirational and um, I think a lot of my followers will gain a lot from it. Like I said, I'll also um, put a link to um, your book again, which is fantastic. If anyone wants to see more from yourself, um, would you, is, there, is there anywhere where they can go? Yeah. Is there any, yeah? Uh, Dr. is my website. I have lots of free resources, free meditations, a bunch of research articles. So hop over there and also send me an email. I answer all my emails. So I would love to hear from you. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you uh, so much again, Shauna. And um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everybody.